We're in a series called God Is, Is God, and we're thinking about some big questions, some big claims about God that our faith makes. We're in the context of faith in God, God of the Bible, declining in the UK and also around the Western world. The church is growing in other places and in pockets in the UK and in the Western world. But what we're seeing is a rise of the nuns. Can you remember that? Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, people growing up or choosing to have no faith or religious affiliation, no spiritual um, beliefs. Those who are done with faith, those who are done with God, those who are done with church, and the rise of the SBNRs, the spiritual but not religious. Um, And within that context, we're trying to deconstruct some things that we may think or believe in our faith and reconstruct them based on what we see in Scripture. And during 25, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, we can't do that full process. So you may leave today with lots of questions to grapple over. Where could you grapple with questions? Where would be a good place? Have a think. Who could you do that with? Some of you are automatically thinking, life group. I could, I could talk about things with, with, in my life group. Some of you may be thinking, oh, I could go and speak to this person or that person. Um, Lois, if we go on the next one, thank you. If someone could find that little clicker, that would be cool as well. Um, James, could you get it from Howard, please? Thanks. Because it's helpful to have some control. Oh, no, there we go. It's helpful to have some control over what's going on, especially today when the topic is God is in control. Thank you. It's helpful when you have something in your hand that you can control. Do you have that battle in your house over the remote, the remote control for the TV? Who, whoever holds it has the power and, and things. A few weeks ago, one of our English teachers came up to me, sorry, English teacher from the Ukrainian cafe that we do Tuesdays and Thursdays. He came up to me and said, um, I've just made the decision to stop. I've done it for a term and I, I just feel as if it's right for me to step down. And we talked about it, I listened and said, I said, thank you. And I'm thinking, ah, there's going to be a gap. Ten minutes later, a lady called Sandra, who's an English teacher from Cairo, came in through the door and said, hello. I would like to, sorry, she said, my name is Sandra. I've been teaching English for 13 years in Cairo. I would like to offer some help. I'm thinking, I didn't even pray. <laughs> but God knew, God was in control. He knew what I needed even before I, I, I got on my knees. There are stories in our lives that we can think about that will show God is in control. The English teacher one is just, just there. Top, top corner, anyone know what that's depicting? Dunkirk, day of prayer, national day of prayer in the UK. Churchill and his advisors thought 20 to 30,000 soldiers being rescued from Dunkirk would be what, what they could achieve. Day of prayer happens, 340,000 soldiers are rescued from the beaches of Dunkirk. 
God is in control. And when we ask him for things, sometimes he goes even beyond our, our wildest expectations. Hot school meals. Myla loves hot school meals. In, nurse, sorry, in infant school, um, so Myla's one of my daughters. Um, in infant school, hot school meals are free. As we, she was transitioning into year three, we had the chat, Myla, we would only be able to afford maybe one hot school meal a week, budgeting and things like that. So she prayed. And a, a day or two before term started, I, we don't know who did this, but an envelope with cash came through our door for Myla to have hot school meals. And that was in year three. But then COVID hit halfway through year three. So she couldn't have hot school meals because we were in lockdown. So that money lasted until about halfway through year five. She prayed and God knew. And God worked in some way, shape or form to, to get hot school meal money to Myla. And then there's a picture of, of Beata, actually, who, who came up just then, um, faithfully going out door to door. We had a message about a week after um, we, we went out with the Arise team door to door in our community. And one lady said, the team knocked on my door and they prayed for me and things have changed. And I don't know how, but I want to, I want to talk some more. Asking for us to revisit her. God is in control. He was able to do something different. However, there are times in our lives there are times in this world where it may not feel as if God is in control or that truth just isn't a truth that we experience. We have two sisters from Ukraine in this room now. Does it feel for the people of Ukraine that God is in control? We have as a staff, um, staff team at the moment, a restructure going on. Boy, when we go through job restructures, don't know whether you've gone through one in work, you need to know that God is in control, but sometimes it doesn't feel like that. There are times where it might feel that God is a divine chess player, moving things around, but then it might also feel that, that at times that divine chess player has left the board. That he started the game, but then he moved away from it. And where is he now? And it might be that you don't want to know a God that's in control like a heavenly puppet master. And these two and, and, and other um, things about God being in in control and then questions linked to it can trigger not just a theological um, brain ache but a pastoral heartache as well. And for many of the nuns and the duns, the SBNRs, they don't want to have a control, a God who's in control so that they will leave. Maybe they've experienced a church leader who's too controlling. And therefore, because of that, and they learn or they know that God is in control, they leave God because of a controlling leader. 
Maybe there are questions that you have about God's control that cause you to question and doubt. Questions are good. Doubts are helpful if you use them correctly. But what we need to do is we need to explore what God's word says and we need to pray. So I'm going to do that now and we're just going to, I'm going to pray a verse from 1 Chronicles 29 and then we'll have a look at a passage in scripture in a little bit. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Help us to understand you more this morning, God. For the things that are are in our heads or in our hearts that aren't, aren't the right view of you, help us to deconstruct that as we look at your words. And by your spirit and the truth of your words, reconstruct it in in our lives. For those of us who the statement of you being in control is a hard statement to, to stomach, give us your comfort this morning. For those of us who need to cling on to that truth today, give us your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Control is the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. Could someone put up their hand, please? You chose not to until Guy did. All of you are like, it's not going to be me. I'm going to keep my hands down. Guy went... Oh, I'm an elder in the church, I've got to. No, no. Guy thought, yeah, okay, he's only asking me to put up my hand. He made a choice. I didn't control Guy. I don't have Jedi powers that I know of. <laughs> I can't get him to do things just by kind of looking at him or anything like that. I don't have that control to, to um, direct his behavior. He chose And there's a tension when we think about God being in control. There's a tension between control and freedom, but also there's a tension between um, God's clear intervention and directing uh, events and uh, and, and him doing things and when he doesn't. So a tension between control and freedom and a tension between when he intervenes and when he seemingly is hidden. We've got to work through these tensions and work out how we come through them with, with our faith intact um, and um, hopefully following today there'll be a little bit of either clarity or some questions that you want to explore further to get that clarity. I met a Calvinist in this village Lots of you may not know what a Calvinist is. That's okay. It's not a a matter of life and death. Especially if you're a Calvinist because you'll believe that God has chosen who will live forever with with, with him or not. That was a theological joke. But it really bombed. Sorry. Um, God being in control 
not just Calvinistic view of God being in control, but hyper-Calvinistic view, God will actually decide who gets into heaven and who goes into hell. And actually will decide for them. Not they choose, he will decide for them. That's a hyper-Calvinist. The Calvinist I met in the village going door to door, he's not a Christian anymore, but he still identifies as a Calvinist, which is interesting. He's not a Christian, but is a Calvinist because he thinks actually he's still chosen, so God's going to let him into heaven anyway. Oh, is this messing with your head a little bit in theology? It does with mine. Um, Moderate Calvinism or Armenianism, it's always good to be in the middle. And, and actually, moderate Calvinists and Armenians have a good balance between control and freedom. God's being in control and, and acting um, his, um, his control, or enacting his control, and giving us free choice. Then you've got open theists and, and selective open theists. And this um, theological grouping started in the 90s. And what we see here is a limiting, or, or people believing that God only knows what can be known. So, who knows what they're having for dinner today? Dave, what are you going to have? Some lasagna. Some lasagna. Did God know that Dave was going to have lasagna today? Or does he now know because Dave has actually said it? He knows what he knows. But open theists would believe that God only knows what is then able to be known, and wouldn't know all the different choices. It might be that Dave gets to um, dinner time and thinks, it's 34 degrees, I don't want lasagna. I actually made it yesterday, does that change anything? Well, I, <laughs> I, I don't know, it's just an illustration, Dave. But it might be that Dave changes his mind. And open theists would believe that God doesn't know all the different options and things like that. Because he's given us freedom. I put those up because I'm aware that some people in our church think at this level. And like to think in theological ways. Explore it further in terms of God's being in control. What is helpful? And if you didn't get any of that, it's the crown up at the top. Some of you might have been just looking at the picture and thought, I understand the picture. I don't understand the words at the bottom. It's really important, and all of these groups believe that God is wearing a crown, that he is sovereign, that he is king over all things. But they will understand that there's a tension between his control and freedom, his action and and mystery of inaction. And I think it's really helpful for us to think of God being sovereign, God being in control, sorry, God, God being king rather than being in control. Because when we think of him just being in control, we are assuming that he will um, do his, way, his things all of the time. And actually, uh, pastorally and theologically, and also biblically, it isn't necessarily the right view. It doesn't say anywhere in Scripture that God is in control. What it does say, time and time and time again, is God is sovereign, that he has all power and authority, he has all knowledge. You might think that's the same as control, there's a subtle difference. Anyone know what this is? 
If you were paying attention in the first sermon in January, you may remember. Thank you, Sarah. Either Sarah remembers, or she's been to the British Museum, or she's read what it says up there. <laughs> the cylinder in the British Museum is one of, of a number that have been found in, in archaeological digs of a cylinder by King Cyrus of Babylon. And on it, it says, um, basically, all the exiles, all the captives that are in Babylon, you can go back home and you can rebuild your places of worship, you can rebuild your city and things like that. And in the passage that we're going to look at today from Isaiah chapter 45, Cyrus is mentioned. Now, Isaiah 45 could have been written just before Cyrus comes to the throne or just after. Some people believe that there, there were two or three writers, um, sorry, yeah, one, two or three uh, authors of Isaiah. I believe that there was one. We can talk about that afterwards. Regardless, this passage mentions a king who isn't a Christian, isn't a Jew, but God uses in a specific context to bring about his purposes. The context is challenge. They're either going into exile or they're currently in exile, depending on the dating of, of Isaiah and, and, and the, the, the person that wrote it. The context is uncertainty. They don't know when they'll go in to exile or they don't know when they're going to come out of exile. Challenge, uncertainty and conflict the third con context. The exile would be through an invasion. When will that come? Or the exile has already taken place and the conflict has been what they have lived through. This context is important for us today because we face challenge. We, fail, we face uncertainty in different ways. And in our world, we face conflict. I want to read just some verses from Isaiah 45. The whole chapter will go up on the screen, but I'll just highlight some verses because rather than reading all uh, four slides worth, we'll just have a look at some of the verses. So I'm going to read the whole of verse 1 to 8 to begin and then just pick out a few others. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor and to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, um, my servant of, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. So that from the rising of the sun, to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none besides me. 
I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Just to read verse eight as well. You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish within it. I, the Lord, have created it. We're going to jump to verse 12, which is starting just down there. It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hand stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. I will I raise up um, Cyrus or, or Cyrus um, in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or a reward, says the Lord Almighty. And then jump to verse 15. Sorry. Verse 15, so starting just over there. Truly you are a God who has been hiding himself, the God and Savior of Israel. And then verse 22 Turn to me and be saved. So verse 22, starting just just down here. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Can I encourage you to keep that passage open in front of you, either on your your phone or or, um, in your Bible? I wonder what thoughts came to mind as, as I read those verses. I want to share some thoughts and lessons from them. First of all, that God is sovereign. He is the Lord. In 24 verses, the title Lord or God or the equivalent is, is uh, shared 28 times. God's trying to get through to the people who are reading this or hearing this that in the context of challenge and uncertainty and, um, and conflict, He is the Lord. He is sovereign. He is above everyone. He has all power and authority. And the name used is a relational name of God. Yahweh, a name that is given to his people so that they will know who he is. I pray that if you are facing a, a situation of challenge, uncertainty, or conflict, that you don't just know a truth or a statement of God is in control, but you will know God as sovereign, Lord, and he is relational, and he is with you, and he has all power and authority, all knowledge and awareness. The second thing, God has a plan and will act to bring about that plan. Who has kept their New Year's resolution that you set at the beginning of 2022? One out of a whole room. Joe is like, maybe, yeah. It doesn't count, Joe. Either hand right up or or don't, not, not halfway. You've either kept it or you haven't. One person out of a whole room that intended to do something and then did it and are stuck to it. God has a plan and the power and ability to stick with it 
and adapt things when we have um, made choices and things like that to bring about his purposes in the end. It isn't just that he's got a bright idea. He brings about his purposes. Look down at the passage with me. In verse four, his purpose is revealed by rescuing Israel. Verse eight, for salvation and righteousness he acts. Verse 13, he wants to bring about restoration and rebuilding. Verse 17, an everlasting salvation and removal of shame that his people were feeling. Verse 18, God wants to bring about life that is flourishing for his people. God has a plan, a purpose in what he does and he will bring about his purposes. It might not be when we want it. It may not be how we want it. We may not actually see his purposes fulfilled. But he has a plan. And this passage reminds God's people who are in that context of challenge, uncertainty, and conflict that God has a plan and will act to bring about that plan. And in verses one to six, we see that he um, becomes like that divine chess player, moving Cyrus in different ways um, for his purposes. But doesn't that infringe upon freedom? Well, the third lesson from this passage. God gives us a choice as to whether we submit to his sovereignty or not. Whether we submit and and acknowledge um, who he is or not. Cyrus didn't acknowledge God, verse four and five. In verse 9, 10, 16, 22 to 24, that there's uh, verses that talk about or, or point towards a freedom of choice that we have. We can choose to submit to God as sovereign or not. We can choose to make idols or not. We can choose to be rescued by God or not. We can choose to go our own way or not. The reason we need salvation in the first place is because we've chosen not God's way. God hasn't made us robots. Otherwise, uh, if he was just that controlling creator, he would have just made robots or inanimate objects like a chess piece. He's given us choice and we can choose to submit to his sovereignty even in the hard context of challenge, uncertainty and conflict. But I know, and I guess many of you do as well, that sometimes God's sovereignty seems very much hidden. But in those times, it doesn't mean that he's not there or doesn't care or isn't sovereign. Verse 15 says, Truly you are a God who has been hiding himself, the God and Savior of Israel. I wonder if you've experienced or are experiencing the apparent hiddenness of God and you're waiting for him to come through. And sometimes it might just be that it's just not fair. Can I encourage you that God's apparent hiddenness doesn't mean that he's not there and doesn't care or isn't sovereign. Why did 
God waits until BC and AD, kind of, or BCE. Why did he wait until that point for Jesus to come? Why didn't Jesus come, Genesis chapter 4, just after Adam and Eve had sinned? Why didn't God just sort it out? Here I am, I'll die for you, Genesis chapter 4. Why didn't he do that? Why was, this, why was that a long wait? That's your lunchtime discussion sorted. Now, I'll, I'll give you a clue. When Jesus was born, and, and, and this is uh, the, the kind of climax of God's purpose of salvation throughout history, Jesus coming as a baby, teaching, ministering, dying on a cross, rising again, he came at a certain time in history where his good news could go and spread throughout a whole area, throughout the whole Roman Empire because of Pax Romana, where the transport links were better than Buckinghamshire's roads. They didn't have as many potholes probably because the Romans knew how to build roads. The trade links for people to go from place to place to share the good news of Jesus. As the Holy Spirit came on people at Pentecost, the, the message went out and God's timing was perfect. But it was hard for the people in the 400 years of apparent silence from God between the Old Testament and the New Testament because they were still waiting. And there's this tension between God's apparent hiddenness and then him fulfilling his purposes at his, in his timing. Where was God on the cross? Well, he was there dying. But as Jesus died, he experienced the hiddenness of God the Father. And in doing so, Jesus, God, knows what it's like to have God, his Father, hidden from sight. Maybe that's an encouragement for some today. Just to close, I want to just share a few practical things and some uh, thoughts. What, uh, what do we do now? We can trust and breathe out. Anyone see this image on Tuesday? James Webber, um, NASA telescope thing. That's actually real. It looks fake, doesn't it? It looks too mysterious to be real, but that's from a telescope looking out into space. And, and God says in his word, it's I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hand stretched out the heavens and I marshaled their starry hosts. God puts those stars in the right place at the right time. He marshals them. Therefore we can trust that if you can do that in space, he's powerful enough and has enough authority to do things in our lives. We can breathe out, we don't need to worry Jesus says, who by worrying can add a single hour to their life? Jeremiah says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Trust and breathe out. Know that the king is still on the boards. When God seems hidden, look for Jesus the king, who knows what it's like for God to be hidden, and know that he says he is with you always by his spirit. 
and that the king is still on the board. Don't take that analogy any further than that. All analogies break down after a while, and if you start know anything about chess, then um, yeah, it, it, it just spoils the analogy. Anything else about chess, I should say. Grapple with God, allowing him to mold you. Maybe you want to start praying by, by just saying, God, I recognize that I'm not God, but you are. And I find that difficult because I think you should do this, this, and this. Be honest with him. Tell him what you're thinking. Tell him if you think something is really unfair or that he's hidden, tell him how you think. Grapple with him, but submit to his sovereignty rather than just running from him. God was wrestled with in the Old Testament. I think we need to do a bit more wrestling with him to help our our faith grow and be strengthened, but also to leave as one who is touched by God after being wrestling with him. We can pray. Pray for one another. Pray for... um, for God to have his, um, well, fulfill his sovereign purposes and know that he is relational. Know that he invites us to talk with him. I believe there are things that God does without asking him, like the English teacher. But there are things that God has planned that he will only do when we ask him. And that might be actually dinner time's discussion for you, not just today's lunch. The tension between control and freedom, the mystery of God when he, he's apparently hidden and when he acts um, very clearly. Just as the music group uh, come and lead us again in worship to close our time together, I want to just highlight verse 22. God says, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. It might be this morning that you are trying to control every aspect of your life and you've come to the end of striving in that way. Turn to God and be saved, be released from that. It might be that you have a lot of worry and anxiety Turn to God and be released from that, be rescued from that. For he is God and there is no other. It may be that there are other things that you just need to bring to God and and know his salvation afresh. So let's pray and then Malcolm will lead us. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign. And in the tension, in the mystery we ask you to speak. Release us from worry and anxiety as we live in uncertainty and conflict and challenge. Reveal yourself where you are hidden. Show us your power and authority. But help us to trust even when we do not see that. In Jesus' name, amen.